for him to continue going back to the fact that the system is racist, the system is racist, the system is racist, and then say they should stay in the system, like that, that just that blows my mind. Welcome to Random Assignment, gentle viewers. Uh, my name is Bob Bowden with Choice Media. I'm joined by the great Corey DeAngelis, as always, from the Reason Foundation. And Corey, just as our little chit-chat moment, someone actually asked me on Instagram, they said, they said, is the Reason Foundation on Instagram? And I wrote back and I said, I don't think so. I think I see but Reason Magazine is, which is affiliated with Reason Foundation. But I don't, is that correct? Yes, that no yes. Okay. Uh, the Reason Magazine um, has just the at Reason on Instagram, but Reason Foundation does not have their own Instagram account yet. But Reason Foundation is on Twitter at Reason FDN. Um, and so that's, you can check out a lot of my work there as well. And then if you don't, if, if you don't, if you want to follow uh, my work on Instagram, you can do that as well because I pretty much share all of my tweets, screenshots from uh, my Twitter onto Instagram too. So if you like that platform, follow me there. I think I think my name is the correct way on Instagram. It's at Corey DeAngelis instead of the oh, flip on Twitter. Okay. And I think most people's favorite part of a random assignment show every week is me showing the Choice Media mobile app. So available right now for the low, low price of free. So boy, we had some craziness, didn't we, Corey, this week? Wow, yeah. I mean, it's only Wednesday. Monday and Tuesday, and even this morning, Wednesday, was just a mad Twitter war. <laughs> I, hope gonna... I hope Jason's on the on this uh, discussion, and I hope Robert Pendicio is on it. But Robert Pendicio may, uh, may be off of all social media at this point. But let's, yeah. let's, yeah, so, let's so get into it. Let me do my best to break it down. And please, uh, Corey, correct me or fix whatever I leave out or say wrong or something. But this all started with a piece that we saw our friend Jason Bedrick of EdChoice wrote a piece about how Diane Ravitch had mischaracterized something that another friend of ours, Robert Pondicio, had written. And so this is that blog post called The Ravages of Libel, which is a funny pun. But the point is, is that... Uh, she was really misquoting and and almost I think it's safe to say maliciously misquoting. At least that's my opinion. I'm I'm still yeah. allowed to say that. I think maliciously misquoting what this what Robert Pondicio had written about Success Academy, a charter school in New York City that's by many accounts the best charter school in all of New York City. And what she how she mangled his words was epic. What he had originally written was that low-income families, low-income families, uh, that there was demand for them to have a school with uh, no excuses model discipline, meaning a disciplinary environment that was not too permissive. So he had observed that. Of course, the waiting lists uh, for Success Academy in New York City are legendary. There's obviously is demand. He was really understating it, if anything. He was just saying low-income parents there's a lot of demand among low-income parents for schools that have solid discipline. What she turned that into was that she morphed that into Robert saying, and can you pull, go ahead and pull that yeah. back up again, Jason speaks. She well, morphed, here, here's morphed her, that up her, into- Here's straight from her blog. Okay, and, this is what right. She said. She said, yes, uh, the draconian disciplinary methods defended Rob by Robert Pondicio of the conservative Thomas Ooh. B. Fordham Institute, who is white, and by Moskowitz, who runs Success Academy, who is also white, black children need harsh discipline, they argued. Well, they never happened. They never argued. Never that. said that. He said low-income families, many of there's a lot of demand for discipline. Nothing about they need, nothing about harsh. I mean, I'm he shocked. Simply, I'm shocked she did. I, I'm shocked she hasn't issued a correction of this yet. I mean, this is this is a live view of her blog right here, and she still has this final sentence: "Black children need harsh discipline." They argued. They have never argued that. Right. And there was a lot of pushback on Twitter, which we'll get into in a second. And a lot of the pushback was against Diane Ravitch and in favor and defending Robert Pinicio. And she is Pondicio himself writing a tweet at the time saying, yeah. I never said this. Show me where I allegedly ever said this. And, so, and then, yes, there we go. A repellent yeah. belief that I do not hold. 
shame on you, Diane. He basically calls her out for directly and egregiously misquoting him. And her response is, well, look at this uh, Chalkbeat story where, in fact, uh, that a Chalkbeat article right there, she says, where this is what you said kind of thing. And so we we look up the story she cites, this alleged reference that that from where she derives this black children need harsh discipline quote, misquote. And what he actually says is what I was saying before about how there is significant appetite among low-income parents yeah. for exactly the kind of education Eva Moskowitz offers. So there is significant appetite. There is demand. Okay, so I use the word demand. He said significant appetite. He never used the word need. He yeah. never used the word harsh. <clears throat> she also morphed low-income into black. He What he Oof. wrote was low-income parents. She decides to change that to black parents. So like she, she makes at least three major revisions in his point. She yeah. changes low-income to black. She changes demand into need, and she invents the word harsh. Anyway, I, 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 like Jason, I like Jason's blog. I mean, I, I just want to read from it really quickly. He says, if you're still puzzled, puzzled as, as to how anything in that quote can be construed as arguing that, quote, black children need harsh, harsh discipline, that's because you don't have access to the rabbit-show-matic meaning translator. Fortunately, I have an older model that still works, which I have dusted off. I've entered the quoted text above and we're off to the races. Quote, the flavor of education that Moskowitz offers, which is what uh, uh, Pendicio said, equals harsh discipline. Uh, and again, too, what Pendicio said was a significant appetite among low-income parents equals, quote, black children are in need of. Yeah. And then Pedrick uh, follows up with, if you're still confused, that's because you're sane. He never said anything like this. And I, and I, I, I would have thought by now this would have been changed. Some of our viewers, Corey, might be wondering why we're even talking about this. You guys, you guys have to wait and see how big this blew oh, up. Okay. We're going to get to this in a second. You're being able to go, oh, why? It's just some sort of somebody having a Twitter dispute over what was really said in a blog post. Just keep, you know, buckle your seatbelts. This blows up really large, and it's all based on what was an obvious misquote, which I consider malicious. I said that already. All right, so moving on, we uh, after Jason Bedrick posts this blog post that we just saw, defending Robert Pondicio, what happened on Twitter was a couple of other school choice opposition folks, deniers, school choice opponents, I guess you'd say, uh, who have blocked both of us now. Look at, <laughs> Corey all, these, and I, look at all these blocks. Boom. Corey and I, neither Boom. one of us can see them anymore either. They pounced on Jason Bedrick. They pounced on him saying basically that his skin color made him uh, incapable of discussing this uh, subject matter since a lot of children of color, minority kids, Hispanic and black kids go to Success Academy. He has no business uh, discussing this. And he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, well, I'm skipping ahead. Yeah, first, so he he basically, you know, they first pounced on him, you know, by saying, uh, by, you know, defending Diane. And he said, he said, actually, well, look, people of color are supporters of charter schools. If you don't like them, don't choose them, but don't stand in the way of those who do. And he cited the Education Next poll, which we've talked about on this random assignment yeah. program, sh showing that minority parents support school choice. Uh, the AFC polls, the recent AFC polls find the same thing, too. Right. Right. So he he posts this. Now they pounce even harder, saying, uh, you know, why are you talking about this? You, you're not really allowed to discuss this kind of thing. Yeah. So Jason presents some data. And instead of refuting his data, the response from people like Andre Perry, who's affiliated with the Brookings Institution, I believe I'm blocked now, but he said something along the lines of, you know, it's Juneteenth, it's June 19th, stand down was the he quote. He did say that. He did say that. Stand down. And he said something about Jason being a white guy, um, which to me, that doesn't seem like a legitimate argument to just shut down Jason just because of the color of his skin. Uh, Jason's just citing some facts here with, with the evidence saying, look, a lot of people of color do support school choice. And instead of, you know, refuting that argument, Perry uh chose to respond by saying you're white stand down it's juneteenth and so um it, it was just a really weird exchange for you know someone who's a doctor uh, i believe um 
uh, someone who's who's a prominent researcher uh, affiliated with Brookings Institution to take this kind of argumentation uh, on this. I know it's a Twitter thread, but still, it, it seemed pretty uh, anti-intellectual to 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 just dismiss everything that Jason was saying just ba- just because of uh, the color of his skin. In fact, uh, I mean, I would I would say that that's what I've always you know always believed is the definition of racism. Basically, judging people by the color of their skin, like instead of saying uh, judging people by what they say and their logic or their ideas or disagreeing civilly, just say, saying you know how dare you speak. It's it's a strange time we're in. Uh, so I go ahead. So Chris Stewart brought up the fact that a lot of the people that were arguing with Jason chose private schools for their own kids or or um, uh, went to private schools themselves. And so uh, another mom in the conversation from Arizona, Kayla, who's okay, so on. Hold on. Let's first know, show the okay, Jason. Okay, I talked to Jason Bedrick about this and I we had a Skype call and I wanted to, he, you know, we talked longer than this clip, but I basically want to show you his description of what happened once this all kind of started to play out. This is Jason Bedrick. That's the point where Dr. Andrew Perry and Dr. Julian Vasquez Helig from, uh, you know, Perry is from the Brookings Institution and, and Helig is from, I believe, the University of Kentucky jumped in. Uh, doc, they were both saying, well, you know, essentially uh, people of color don't really like these schools, uh, you know, and their, their views of charters are changing. Uh, at that point, I said, well, actually, if you look at the Ednext poll, uh, there is very high support uh, from African-Americans and from Hispanics, uh, much higher than, than among whites for charters and for uh, vouchers and tax credit scholarships and other forms of school choice, uh, at which point they said that uh, I was uh, centering on whiteness and a bunch of other uh, gobbledygook, uh, basically saying that if you're standing up for the choices of people of color, somehow you are pushing white supremacy uh, I find that to be a whole load of nonsense. Uh, I'm not going to stop advocating for people of color just because uh, somebody uh, calls me some some mean names. Okay, so that, that blew up there. Then at this point, I see this happening, and I go in and start defending Jason, by the way, and basically saying that, I mean, it, it was kind of funny because at one point uh, they referred to their own, I forgot if it was... Uh, if it was uh, Mr. Perry or Mr. Hellig who defer- referred to both of them as prominent, we are prominent. They one no, of no. Jul- Julian referred to himself that way. He said, "Dr. Vasquez Heilig and Dr. Perry are the two most prominent researchers on this topic." Yeah, so, so talking about self-reference in, about- third, in third person, and then also referring to himself as Dr. Mr. Prominent Doctor. Yeah. So, referring to yourself as prominent, and then I wrote saying. Uh, kind of saying this looks like if you looked up elitism in the dictionary, this looks like something, an example that they ought to include here because what we're saying is we're framing this in terms of, uh, you know, supporting all parents, regardless of skin color, in terms of uh, educational choices. And you're saying, uh, well, no, we are prominent. So we get to say what all black parents think about school choice or charter schools. And... Sounds pretty elitist to me. So I get, I then get involved in this fray, and now I get my share of attacks from them. But then, uh, to which you referred a second ago, uh, uh, kind of, it's like when there's a relay race, and the <laughs> and they have that fastest, best runner who's really gonna crush it at the. La- that's always the like the last, leg, the fourth leg. Yeah, the fourth, right, the last in the in the relay. And it's this, uh, I actually worked with her before a little bit briefly, but didn't really come to appreciate her until this week. Kayla Svedlin. I chatted with Kayla about, she basically came in and just started destroying both of them. Both of these. And and she's sitting over here like, hey, you, you guys are doctors and you can't even respond to my basic points of why we should prevent people of color in low-income families from being able to choose the schools that work best for their kids. And they could not respond to that. And she, yeah, you're right. She's the fourth leg in the relay. And it drove them they crazy just- because she's like, look, why should you tell me that I can't choose, especially when we find out something later at the end, which will be in this video. So let's play Kayla. There's a lot of legitimate reasons to um, dismiss polling data there, you know, but the the race of the person coming and presenting it to you is not a legitimate reason to dismiss what he's got. Um, 
I mean, I am a mother. I'm not white. <laughs> um, I have exercise school choice for my children. I use the Empowerment Scholarship account in Arizona um, with, with much satisfaction and success for my kids. And I support school choice. For him to continue going back to the fact that the system is racist, the system is racist, the system is racist, and then say they should stay in the system, like that, that just that blows my mind. Um, especially once I found out that when he was in Louisiana, he sent his kids to private school. So <laughs> I'm, I cannot, I, I don't have the means to send my children to a private school. Um, and it took a while for Andre to respond. Like, I think he wanted to kind of ignore me at first, like dismiss that I was there uh, because it was a lot easier to attack you and to attack Jason um, because I didn't, I didn't fit the narrative that he was trying to get across. And I don't take being ignored very well. <laughs> I don't take being ignored very well. And and again, just you notice I, I laughed there uh, at the, when I was on uh, talking to her. But what you you heard me laughing about is that yes, apparently, apparently when uh, when Mr. Perry lived in New Orleans, he sent his own kids to private school. It's choice for me, but not for thee. It yeah, was and, go ahead. And, and what she points out is is something that we met, left out a second ago is that. One of Perry's main arguments was that the system is racist itself and we need to fix that. And to which her response is spot on. Well, then why do you want to force children of color to be stuck in a system that you deem to be racist? And I think one thing that I shared was the video from Tim DeRoe showing that, it, you know, the, uh, the attendance zones for government run schools today mirror the attendance zones from the 1930s, uh, uh, the red line, the discriminatory redlining practices from the 1930s. And we, we shared this video in every before, yeah. you know, right. on this podcast where the lines kind of match those discriminatory practices. So she's, she's totally right. And then, yeah, the nail on the, 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 the final kind of KO. Yeah. Say again. P.S. de resistance. Yeah. And the, the final TKO though was the, uh, well, you sent your kids to private school. Why, why shouldn't me, a woman of color, be able to do the same thing for my children? And then when I when I asked him about to explain that, he said, well, no, I didn't have a zone school. I had a, a lottery of charter schools in New Orleans, so I couldn't pick a zone school. To which I responded by asking, so if a parent has compulsory school assignment through home address, that's okay. But if they have compulsory school assignment through a lottery... That's not okay. It's the mechanism of school coercion that you're disputing is the difference here. One coerced no. mechanism for a school assignment is okay and another is not okay. At which point I was then blocked. Yeah, and, and I was blocked I was blocked even before that, right? I was right. right when I just said, I'm really happy that you were able to, and I was nice about it. I, I made a point about it to be nice about it, that you sent your child to a private school as evidenced by what Kay Kayla was saying. And I'm really happy you had that choice, but why shouldn't, you know, less fortunate be able to have similar options and block, immediate block. Yeah. And when I, when I had asked my question about, well, wait, why is one compulsory school assignment system okay, but a lottery assignment system is not okay? His wow. response to me was, why are you asking about my children? And I said, I'm not asking about your children. I am <laughs> asking about what you wrote on Twitter regarding school assignment policy. Just the that, logic, that, right? I mean, because his logic, his his logic, the only logic you can get from that is that he was saying that it was okay in his particular circumstance because he didn't have a residentially assigned school, that he had a lottery, and that lottery wasn't true choice in his right. in his uh, in his own words. And to which my response was after he blocked me, after I you know I saw this tweet. It's, you know, it seems that Andre argues his private school choice was justified because the lottery system isn't meaningful. And to which I responded that by that logic, private school choice is also justified if you're in a zone system because residential assignment isn't meaningful choice either. Uh, zoning is arguably less choice than a lottery system where you well, have at least some is. choice. Yeah, it's, so- It's zero choice. Yeah. By his own, by his own logic, um, 
yeah, if it was okay for you because you didn't have meaningful choice, well, there's a whole bunch of other families that don't have meaningful choice. Uh, and right. I think, I think, you know, um, I think when people get back into back into these corners where they can't make any logical arguments to square these two views that they have and their actions, they block you. And again, I was trying to be as nice as possible. I didn't see where you stepped over the lines at all in that conversation. You were as nice as possible, just trying to use logic with him. And you got blocked for asking this basic question. Well, I was a little, I was a little meaner earlier on when I, you know, when I got attacked for my skin color. But anyway, I was, um, but I will say that um, I will say that to me, th th this is the odd, this was the odd thing about it. That originally, what the discussion was from our point of view, if I may, kind of uh, categorize that, is that we were kind of saying there are two positions: you support parent choice to parents' ability to pick schools, or you don't support parents' ability to pick schools, to which they responded with a different polarity. They said, well, this is white or black. You guys are white. You can't talk mm -hmm. about this issue because we're black. And this is and this issue that was the original issue of Success Academy involved a lot of minority kids. So instead of the polarity being parent choice, yes or no, theirs was polarity white or black and white people can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. To which I think then our friend Robert Pondicio saw a third polarity, which was civil discussion versus um, hostility and, uh, you know, mudslinging and anger and degeneration into bickering. And his response to that was, I'm out, meaning of Twitter yep. generally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... so um Benicio reportedly deleted his Twitter Twitter account, right? Um, so if you, yeah, if you go to the top of this um, thread, you you can't see the original tweet from Robert anymore. Um, and he has a good, pretty good point that it, you know, Twitter is a place where there's a lot of non-civil discussions, right? Um, there's better ways to do it, but a lot of times this, these kinds of things happen happen where people just reject the evidence that's presented to them. And you know what's what's also deeper than that is that, you know, a lot of this initial argument was about, you know, I have this poll showing that minorities are more likely to support, um, uh, you know, private school choice programs or charter schools or other forms of school choice. And and, and that a majority of those groups uh, tend to, to be favorable of school choice policies. That was kind of Jason's initial point, right? But I think, it shouldn't even matter if the majority wants school choice, right? Even if, let's say, 30% of, you know, um, people of color supported school choice. Well, shouldn't they still have um, school choice, even though they're in the minority of, of the population? I mean, the whole logic behind this is that minority rights should matter, right? If And and, and so even... And if, all parents' rights, yes. All parents' rights. So even, even if you're, yeah, let's say you have a student with special needs, for example, you, you may not be in the majority, uh, but that doesn't mean that you you have a unique scenario to where you you should be able to choose a different school for their for your child. So yeah, um, just yeah, like every just, other walk of American life where a majority may not want to, I don't know, uh, take yoga, go to yoga each week, but that doesn't mean those who do want that shouldn't be allowed to want that and do that. Yeah, you can't and you can't eat vegan stuff because the majority of the population. I think still is is not vegan. Uh, should should we point out the video where we first met Professor uh, Julian? So yes, Moskett? it turns out what a coincidence. Professor Hellig has a history with both Corey and Bob. In fact, we both met him on the same day. And I think this is actually part of where the title of our podcast came from because of this encounter and and our um, stage moment that we had here. Here's, here's one of the clips and other folks say that turns out the vast minority of the studies that Corey talks about are actually not peer-reviewed so for example with the new york study excuse me the question was not about peer review it was about random assignment versus right, and because, causation and just, causality but, with the lubinsky study but just so i took eight stats courses at sociology in the sociology department at stanford so you are right in the realm of things that i like to I went to Stanford, bro. That means I'm right. I uh, took courses. It was as if that's some sort of a guarantee of of like command of a subject matter. You know, it's really I took courses. 
I mean, why don't you tell us what you've written that that's pertains or your ideas that matter or something? Or, yeah, or instead of appealing to authority, tell me why random assignment studies are not more valuable than the studies you were citing. And you, you can't argue with that. Random assignment, as the name of our podcast implies, is the top tier gold standard type of evaluation. If you're just citing a correlational study, how is that better than the studies we were citing? But here's the second clip. Let me answer. Uh, so, I, but first I want to talk about what you said no, about please the answer PISA. the question. So ask the question again. I wasn't listening to you. This is how the five minutes gets elapsed, right? He just has me repeat the question. Do you know that NAEP, the pr proficiencies and the NAEP tests given in all 50 states, and the most recent by the Obama administration 2017 for eighth grade science... Uh, sure. I've seen I've seen math. them. I don't know the specific percentiles. Okay. You roughly what they are? Can you? Sure. Use? Sure. What are they? No, I don't know for, by state or by no, the national. No, no. No, the national. Figures. I don't. I don't keep every name. <laughs> what he are says, they? Yes. He, the yeah, best yeah. part is he says yes. Yeah. He knows what they are. What and are I go they? okay. What are they? He goes well. I don't know. I don't know. actually. What by state? <laughs> what? So, what do you? Because you kept, you kept pushing it, right? Because a lot of people will do this. They'll try to. They'll, they'll just like talk in broad terms and act like they know it they're talking about and they don't think you're going to press them on it but you took the, the extra step and said well what are they so what are they well i don't actually uh, know them know them i just know them i know okay. i know them by saying no once i don't know them by saying no twice i don't know okay so, so we, we had some recent clips of some pretty uh high profile people supporting school choice uh in the united states we and 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 we had a round table a school choice round table with mike pence kellyanne conway in Wisconsin, which uh, is yeah, home of the longest standing modern day voucher program in the U.S., started uh, three decades ago in Milwaukee. And then Trump's also been talking a lot about school choice. So let's let's hit on those three videos. So we're fighting for school choice because we know that access to education is a civil right. A civil right. School choice. Did you ever see? My ears hurt. The president and I have is that um, that empowering parents to choose where their children go to school doesn't simply make better education available for those families. We we believe the competition makes everybody better. It's one of the things that. Uh, Superintendent Gray and I reflected on just before I came out. In fact, you've seen evidence of that uh, here in Wisconsin, where uh, not only have uh, have we seen uh, students in the parental choice program. I'm yet to hear in 30 years in this space, yet to hear a compelling argument on behalf of the child, on behalf of the student, as to why people would oppose giving a parent the opportunity to make a better choice for his or her student, his or her child. Hmm. There is no good answer in that regard. You know, actually, there, I think there is an answer. I got to tell you, I was surprised one time. This was a few years ago, and I went uh, and, I, and I was basically saying to uh, uh, an African-American gentleman, the subject of school choice, we were talking about it, and, and I, I learned something that I still think about even even this uh, debate this week on Twitter that led to these cancellations, which was that, you know, from my point of view, why would anybody stop a kid from going to the best school? The parents don't have a penny to make by choosing a charter school or they're using a voucher for a private school. They're, they're not, they have no economic incentive to change. To, to, their only incentive is the best for the kids. So why wouldn't everybody like that? And what this gentleman told me, who I won't say who it was, but it's some wisdom that I've really reflected on. And he said, you know, here's what you need to understand. There are a lot of jobs in big cities, in big school districts that uh, some of these people, they that's, you know, this is their pension. This is how they pay their mortgage. This is, they may have kids in college. They have bills to pay. They see you coming talking about school choice and all they see is a threat to their income that they're using to feed their family. <laughs> And you and by you, I also say Corey DeAngelis and company should understand that when we say school choice could be better for kids, what all some of them are hearing is a threat to their jobs. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a potential, you know, that if you're a lower performing teacher, you might be more likely to lose your job if people can vote with their feet. But, you know, there's or a lot a cafeteria of cafeteria worker I mean, or if you're a nurse and enrollment drops by half because of a new school choice program. So when, yeah, when Kellyanne yeah, Conway yeah, yeah, says that, that's what I think. I'm thinking to myself, like she says, I haven't heard a single reason why anybody would oppose school choice. There's, this isn't spoken well, out loud very much. Yeah, Pardon. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. This isn't this isn't talked about a lot a lot because people don't want to say that they want to make other arguments so it doesn't so, so they can uh, create the the veneer or the patina or the somehow the sense that they really are doing what's best for kids but in fact what some of them are doing is you know what's best for kids is in their mind well my own family and I'm protecting my job and I might not even be an underperforming teacher I may be just a, a cafeteria worker or a nurse or a bus driver or a librarian and I'm worried that if these jobs are removed from the system on which I depend our family will suffer yeah I mean my initial response to that is always well it's not about the jobs it's about the kids getting a good education so our priorities are completely backwards when we think about it that way but then my second response is that I don't think that's the only potential change with when you have school choice, right? I mean, you could also theorize that school choice could lead to more competitive pressures in the labor market, which could benefit the teachers too. And we have five studies on this. All five of them find statistically significant positive effects of school choice competition on teacher salaries. So what happens is when school choice competitive pressures come into play, the individual schools, which are a monopoly in the current system, start to have stronger incentives to allocate the dollars to the classroom and the teachers. So teachers could also benefit from school choice, even yeah. if even if people are voting with their feet away from them. You can you can have less money, but have more of it allocated towards the classroom, which could be uh, you know overall beneficial for teachers. But of course, there might be some districts that cut the wrong funding and they. They cut the teachers instead of the extra administrative bloat. So um, it depends on the individual district. And, you know, even if there's evidence showing that school choice can benefit teachers, it, we don't know if it's going to benefit all teachers the same way, right? Higher yeah, quality teachers probably benefit more. Uh, I'm not arguing that we should orient our education system around job protection. What I'm doing is, I think, explaining why sometimes we are puzzled by the fights we get into, and we can't understand where they're coming from, and because their their logic seems to make no sense to us, and it's because they're really hiding what they're really saying. It's like in all kinds of arguments, if someone doesn't want to tell you the real thing they think, they come up with some sort of other thing why they're arguing with you, and it can be more and more frustrating as you proceed. And I think so. I think that's part of it. And 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 two, like some of these people too are not. Again, let's say they're not teachers. Let's say they're somehow staff, like I was saying before, like bus drivers, cafeteria, you know, janitors, other other people in the schools, and you know, some kind of middle-aged person, you or, or you know, or even a little older, you might go to them and say, "Well, don't worry, this new school will also need cafeteria workers. Uh, the the charter school, the private school, they will need also need a." Uh, you know, a janitor, yeah. and they might say, yeah, but now I've got to go compete for a new job. I'm kind of set here. And you know what I'm trying to say? It's, I think it yeah. explains some of these. Oh, yeah, in fact, Andre Perry, when we were in that Twitter war, actually used the word jobs. He was talking about, he, he referenced was. jobs. Yeah, yeah, he did. And um, what's interesting, too, is that, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that could explain why people they may be personally thinking, I want to protect my job or I want to protect this other person that I know's job. And, but then they turn their argument to be about the children. So then they're stuck in some weird situation where they have to argue that somehow preventing families from having the choice of where to send their kid to a better school that could be just next door, they somehow have to warp this into an argument about how that's good for them to trap them into a particular school. That's why I like to use a lot of rhetorical questions in these kinds of debates. And on Twitter, you see it all the time. I put the little face that, that goes like this because you know, a lot of people will say charter schools don't work. And then I'll respond, well, if they don't work, why are millions of families choosing them? Uh, school choice harms children. Well, if, if school choice harms children, then why are so many families eager to get out of their residentially assigned school? And why are they, uh, why are there huge, you know, wait lists for charter schools? Why are so many people wanting something else? Is it because, right. you know, they, they don't know better for themselves? And then so it puts them into a really weird situation where they have to argue that one, 
maybe parents don't know best for their children, which I think most people think that's a pretty ridiculous, elitist, paternalistic type of argument that no one wants to say out loud, or many people don't want to say out loud, or they have to make up some other argument. All right, let's hit a few other stories. Um, there was a Gallup poll that says a slim majority of U.S. parents favor full-time in-person schooling this fall. So this is, uh, you know, we're all talking about, starting to talk about the fall, or at least some of us in the education world. It was a little bit of a slow week in some kinds of education news, which you sometimes get in the summer. But U.S. parents, it says, are more likely to prefer their children attend full-time in-person school this fall as opposed to having fuller part-time distance learning. But if you look at the numbers, it's interesting. 56%. I would say only. I would add the word yeah, only. The only 56% right? of parents with children who attend a K-12 through school prefer their children's instruction to be fully in-person this fall. 37% prefer a hybrid program in which students attend school part-time and do some distance learning, while 7% want full-time distance learning for their children. So, wow, only 56% want kind of regular school in the fall. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, any other year, I mean, I think the headline's a little uh, misleading in that they focus on the the fact that there's a slight majority <laughs> for full-time in person. I would have said the opposite. I would have said 44% of parents don't want full-time Yeah, in yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the bigger story here. 37 plus 7 is, is 44. And they even, what's also interesting is that, well, one, it's, it's the most recent poll, but they also break it down for parents that are worried about the kids getting coronavirus and the parents who are not worried about, you know, an increased risk of coronavirus. And so, you know, we, we've talked before on the show that, you know, it's a, it's a mix of things as to why you know, families uh, want to continue homeschooling or virtual schooling in the fall. And we've, we theorize that coronavirus has a lot to do with it. And it looks like if you look at the sample who are not worried about coronavirus, it still shows about 20% of the families, even, even if, if they're yeah. not concerned about the virus, 20%, one in every five families want to not do uh, full-time in-person school. I know. Yeah, we've talked about that. We've made we've made that exact distinction without numbers in the past, and here are the numbers for it. So that's interesting. Um, okay, so let's go to this other story. I only like mom school. Why my autistic son thrived during the pandemic school closures. Look at this. This almost. I mean, this is wow. It's uh. Well, let me just say it's a. It, it reads. I almost feel guilty saying this out loud. My autistic second grader thrive during remote learning. In the past three months at home, he's moved up several reading levels, improved his writing stamina, conquered fractions in a virtual session in April. His doctor couldn't believe it was the same child she'd be seeing in her office. Do you have to send him back to school, she asked. Like a lot of parents with kids with special needs, when our Chicago schools closed in mid-March, I was worried about regression and how I was going to keep my son from falling behind. And then it says, although with roughly 7 million children in the U.S., 14% of all public school students, uh, my son receives federally mandated special education services. Seven million kids getting that because of his dis disability. In his mainstream second grade classroom at our neighborhood public school this past year, my son worked with a special education teacher and received occupational speech and social work support. He also had a dedicated aide. And yet all of that said, this child is preferring school with mom. Okay. I mean, yeah, the, the, the sad part is this assignment here, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, it just, my heart dropped when I, when I read uh, the response. Yeah. The assignment, assignments, what do you miss most about school? I don't, I didn't like second grade. I didn't like to do bad things. Yeah. I only like mom school. Ah, yeah. ah. Okay. All right. So moving on to Camden, Camden mom talks home instruction and taught me to identify their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, another uh, story that refers to homeschooling and I guess um, its successes, while not ideal for Danielle Crudup, the mother of two Camden Kip students, Kip being a prominent charter school, home instruction was something she took in stride. It was March 13th when the school shuttered its buildings in line with the New Jersey's rules. And remote learning packets were prepared for two weeks of work. Soon, over 1,000 laptops were distributed. And these two kids were two of the approximately 1,500 students within the citywide network. 
And it says, a few months in it became much better. We settled into schedule, but at first it was very challenging. Uh, the mother told uh, this group that in reflecting about the early days, even though I have to work nine to five, I was making sure they did all their assignments, their homework, and, their, and that they had corresponded with teachers. And the point is the mom gets so much more insight into what the kids are learning, how well they're learning, what they're missing that they need to be learning that they weren't getting, that this mom wasn't getting before. So it's another kind of success story that maybe some additional parental engagement has been driven by, you know, what was a very bad thing of a virus. This is kind of a, kind of a silver lining to, to the COVID-19 story. Yeah. One of the few, if only silver linings. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I have an update from California. Crazy things going on in California that just uh, hit my desk today. Um, so we talked a lot about Pennsylvania and all the crazy stuff going on with the virtual school charter schools there in Oregon, how both of these states were trying to block students from switching to charter schools successfully in Oregon and pretty successfully in Pennsylvania. Well, now you got California doing the same kind of stuff in their legislature. Legislature, I think they're voting on the bill today. They might even be doing it as we're speaking. But the bill includes, the super long bill, took a long time to figure this out. But they're doing the same thing. We're trying to do the same thing that Pennsylvania did, where they're making it legal. It's still okay to switch and enroll into a virtual charter school in California but they wanted to 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 so that they can't uh, count those children on their enrollments being they they won't be compensating for serving additional students meanwhile they're pushing for the traditional government-run schools to be able to freeze their enrollments so let's say you know half of your kids go to the virtual charter school and they enroll in those schools the virtual charter school won't get any additional money for all of those students and the district-run school or the government-run school will still get the same amount of funding for having half the number of students. So I, I wrote here that it makes no sense at all uh, unless you're just in it to protect a monopoly. And so just uh, real quick, here's the language from the bill. If you, if you uh, don't trust my word for it, here's the screenshot. Uh, for the 2021 school year, uh, the calculations are gonna be based for non-classroom-based charter schools, which is what they call virtual charter schools in California, uh, the department shall use non-classroom-based charter schools average daily attendance in the previous 2019-20 school year. So if your enrollment goes up by, if you triple your enrollment, well, too bad. You, uh, you, you only get compensated for that previous enrollment. And I mean, the, the logic behind this is obvious, right, Bob, that you're just protecting a monopoly and uh, trying to disincentivize charter schools from taking additional students. And we all know during this time, a lot of people are wanting to switch, as we cited from that Gallup poll, that a lot of people are saying they want to do virtual learning. Um, here is one of the uh, charter school leaders from California reporting a 20% increase in enrollment. She said she already hired 53 additional teachers to serve these new students. And meanwhile, there's a bill to freeze their funding. So they already have all these new teachers hired. They're, they're pretty much stuck with them, it, it seems like, if this bill goes through. And here's the bill if you want to go look it up yourself. It's AB 77. Again, the thumb on the scale to her choice, because why? Well, it just doesn't fit with, with you know, with what you're supposed to want. Whereas if we had fully funded school Ooh! choice, we would actually have the same spending per student, no matter what school was chosen by the parents or the parents could keep some for a college fund. They have the exact same amount of money given to every student and what they don't spend that can you save for college fund or use on other ways, tutoring, something like that. But once again, we have, we, we're not allowed to have school choice and give it a fair shake in America. When we do pass school choice programs, as the California news that Corey reported just shows, uh, you have to try to penalize the non-district school options. Okay, so speaking of district schools, there was uh, Baton Rouge. You know, they have these school board meetings and people go up. It's time to go to the microphone uh, for a public comment. Uh, uh, Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones, uh, Mr. Johnson, different people get to come up and uh, 
and then uh, talk about what they think. And so one of these, I guess, uh, folks was the, the Mr. Chambers. He was uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. His turn came to walk up to the microphone and wow, what happened went viral. Here it is. And you set your arrogant self in here and sit on that shopping while the pain and the hurt of the people of this community is on display. Because you don't give a damn and you should resign. You should have resigned two years ago when you choked a white man in his house. You should have resigned two weeks ago when you got on TV and said foolishness. And you should walk out of here and resign and never come back because you are the example of racism in this community. He's talking about a, since it pertains, a white uh, school board member who he caught on his cell phone shopping during the school board meeting. She was shopping online on her laptop and someone snapped a photo, maybe it was him, snapped a photo on, on, the, on the phone. And he, uh, this had been a discussion about should a, a school named Robert E. Lee High School in Baton Rouge change its name because of questions about Robert E. Lee and whether that was a racist uh, reference and that should be a different name. But he basically went talking about her. And I just, I, the main thing I thought about and interested in your thoughts on it, Corey, is the, uh, just having seen what we just went through that, that with the debate between, uh, between Hellig and Perry uh, talking about how they oppose school choice. And as Kayla Sveden pointed out, uh, they say you shouldn't choose you shouldn't have a choice to leave the system. But by the way, the system is very racist. Then you have the very same week, a black man coming up talking about how racist, in his opinion, that school, part of that school board anyway was. And, mm -hmm. uh, and this is the system that those PhDs uh, were telling us on Twitter that you know families of color should be stuck in, should not have a choice to leave from. So anyway, it's, it, was a, it really highlights Kayla's point, right? That- yeah. If you're saying the system has problems, why are you forcing me to stay in the system that you deem to be racist? That doesn't make any sense. And there's no defending that. There's no defending, you know, uh, forcing a woman of color to send her children to a school that's not working for them, especially if you're saying that that system is racist. And this video that that we just played kind of, uh, yeah, it, it kind of echoes that point. You know, since we brought that up again, Corey, I wanted to say, so one other thing I was going to ask you, which, I, you know, when I was talking to Jason Bedrick about this, I said to him, you know, what are your thoughts on this, on the subject of, uh, you know, social media fights and when to engage and when to back off? I think we all sometimes kind of go through this where we will be sometimes fighting with someone. We're like, why, what am I getting? Why am I doing this? Why don't I just get a Never stop? delete it. Never delete it. Just Never delete it. Okay. Well, no, I, I'm, I don't. I don't. I only delete uh, tweets when I like make a misspelling and I redo it that second. But uh, anyway, um, but you know, and, and so what he was saying is, yeah, he, you know, his view is sometimes it's, uh, uh, you know, don't. There's these theories, don't shoot down, you know, when you're going to debate with somebody, and other theories about how well if it's somebody that's uh, reasonably prominent, then you kind of will hang in there. But, you know, I have a, another theory, which is that sometimes it's not about whether you're shooting down or shooting up, sometimes it's uh, more about, do I think that they're in good faith disagreeing mm -hmm. with me or are they just trolling? Are they just shooting? Like, what, like when, you know, when, they're, when they basically accuse my skin color of being the problem and with my point of view, something like that, I'm like, well, this is just disingenuous. I'm obviously, I, I can go deeper in. But then there are, you know, there are other times it just makes sense to back off. And then what Jason said was, he goes, but he goes, so sometimes I, a lot of times I was kind of backing off those things. He goes, but I think Corey's on to something. <laughs> he's, he's talking about you. That's what I was thinking in my head when you first started talking. I said, no, that's yeah. the wrong approaches. <laughs> he's like, I think Corey's on to something with this social media world and in a way where sometimes you can say, hey, everybody, there's a fight behind the cafeteria. Tommy and Jimmy are going to are duking it out. Everyone wants to see the fight. Uh, and as you're on your way running to go see the fight, you're like, gee, I, you know, Tommy's got more upper body strength, but, you know, Jimmy's got more, <laughs> more weight on him. I wonder who's going to win. You're like, so you seem yeah. to have understood this aspect of human psychology better than anyone in our space. So I, want, I was going to ask you your thoughts on when to engage, when to back off, when it's a waste of time. What do you say? Well, I think the most for the most part, you should engage if you have time for doing so. Even if it's someone like uh, Dr. Perry who is saying that you know you're just a white guy, right? Um, and I think the reason for that is 
um, because we need to think about all the third parties that are watching, right? You don't want to you don't want to engage and, and make yourself look stupid, right? You don't want to like engage in that same type of behavior. But if you take the high road um, uh, and respond in a logical fashion, everybody else will see that. And I think the mistake that most people make in this in this kind of area is that people think that. They, they, they make this judgment based on whether they think they're going to convince someone that they're speaking with. And my approach has been, there's a lot of people you're not going to convince. This is Twitter, right? Most people you're probably not going to convince. Uh, but what you really should be aiming for is taking the high road and making the better argument because who you're really trying to convince are all the people on the fence uh, watching in on this conversation and yeah, of course, Andre's not going to be on our side after this, right? Uh, he still has the same view. He blocked us almost almost immediately once he came under a little bit of pressure. Um, Julian Vasquez did the same thing with me um, uh, way back when. Diane Ravitch, after my first exchange with her, I shared some studies with her, blocked. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I mean, you see my Facebook page too, right? All I do essentially is take screenshots of my tweets. And I send them over to Facebook and everybody's like, yeah, oh my gosh, I can't believe anybody, uh, you know, actually makes these arguments. And those are the, that's what I, that's why I kind of engage in these things. So I can show everybody what's going on. I think in the education world, there's a whole bunch of people who kind of have this religion and they worship this government system and this monopoly. Um, and so it might look like we're the kind of outsiders in that world, but for the whole kind of, dialogue about you know uh, everybody who's not even in these little niche debates i think most people look at the interaction and they say i can't believe anybody's actually making those arguments and they're a doctor affiliated with a you know high, high quality institution academic or or think tank institution and i so, so yeah i think that's my my approach of course you have time constraints um um and and, and i would also say if they're if they're a pure bot that you can't put a face to a name, sometimes it's not in engaging with those people, especially if they're out to libel you because you can't hold them accountable with their, their individual kind of persona. Because if someone if someone uh, libels you and it's a bot, who do you who do you pursue the libel suit with? No one. But if it's an individual person and the, they're libeling you, at least you can say hey, you probably shouldn't be libeling me. That's that's kind of against the law. You don't want to do that. So, yeah. um, I mean, and let me just, let me, quickly say, let me quickly say, one, everyone should listen to what Corey says about this stuff more than just about anybody because he basically owns this space. And two, uh, if I were to say it, I got to say just constitutionally, like uh, dispositionally, I am much more likely to, if someone swings at me, I'm much more likely to punch back. You you do seem, Corey, to have mm -hmm. a elevated ability to uh, remain um, detached emotionally from some of these mudslinging rugby scrums or something like that. And I, I will uh, often punch back, I think, a little more, but no well, one's, no one's I, doubting your success in this space. I think it's uh, you, you experience it enough and you just don't get mad about it anymore, right? Because it's like... <laughs> At first, I used to get really pretty upset about these things. Like, well, why, can't I, why can't I convince them? And then it, it <laughs> kind of changed to, uh, I get it. I'm not going to convince them, right? But sometimes I'm I think of it as an act of it. justice. If they swing at my head, I'm going to swing back at their head as an act. It's 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 really justice. That's how I'm viewing it, rather than you know anything more more high minded than that. But anyway, all right. Let's let's move on. Uh, let's see uh, what do we got next. Mississippi Department of Education. Okay, so this is a, an interesting story overstated progress in graduation rate this is the whole state's department of education this is not some quirky little district tiny district somewhere this is the state overstating the graduation rate for mississippi and failed to maintain a dropout prevention office for the last 10 years as required by state law i don't know how mad i am for that some sort of state law like has some dropout prevention office. Okay. But anyway, it says, uh, it, it goes into these numbers and, you know, I guess at some point it gets in the weeds, but it is kind of funny for people to defend the education establishment as, oh, well, gee, you, you, you know, they're the professionals. You can't have this wild West. They're the numbers. Okay. You pulled up. <laughs> Increasing the graduation rate. Reminds from, me of DC a few years ago, right? With the hundred percent stated graduation rate. That was a, that was a fraud too. 
Yeah, it says 10% increase, I guess, in the published graduation rate. So, you know, those who say, oh, this wild west of school choice, how will you have any real transparency into what's really happening? We have to have government-run schools that will have honesty in reporting. Okay. All right, good. I'm sure the parents of Mississippi will be real confident the next time we see a 10% uh, jump, like, or whatever this is. You said, yes. there's, there's the range. Um, all right, so moving on. Audit finds San, San Diego area school districts deliberately manipulated finances and may have committed criminal fraud. Another case where, oh, this Wild West of private schools, we can't trust them. Oh, really? And even in a place yeah, like- we got to make perfect the enemy of the good because we all know the counterfactual is perfection in heaven, right? Exactly, right. Yeah, even in a place, you know, please, San Diego's, suburbs of San Diego are pretty pretty expensive real estate generally, but here's the newly released audit, audit casting blame to the top managers of this district saying they may have committed criminal fraud. Um, oh, let's see. Do we have a dollar value? The district unexpectedly came up $30 million short- Ooh. In September 2018, yep. reports showing the district previously approved across the board raises, even though some administrators knew doing so could lead the district to go bust, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Cool Pardon? If we go beyond our budget, the taxpayer will cover it eventually. Yeah, yeah, boy. I'm glad, I'm glad we have these government schools to make sure that the finances are spent properly. Um, and then we have this in Chicago. Numerous allegations lead Chicago district to oust principal for indefensibly unprofessional and unsafe behavior. Racist nicknames, throwing chairs, belittling parents. This is a principal in Chicago. CPS report finding numerous complaints that Franklin Fine Arts Principal Kurt Jones mistreated parents, teachers, and staff, leading to feelings of harassment and discrimination and humiliation for some members of color. Uh, Mr. Jones says that was never his intent. Oh, okay, great. Oh, well, at any rate, I mean, yeah, oh, no. this is, a, I don't even want to say it. No, yeah, let's not even reason. say it. People nope. can, yeah. Well, if you're listening to the, to the podcast, audio podcast, it's, uh, you know, it's some, some words that are, uh, well, let's see, disparaging references to Hispanic individuals. We'll say that, um, as well as to African-American individuals. Yes. Um, anyway, so those are the schools that Messrs. Perry and Hellig say parents should have to attend whether they yeah, like it or not. You got to stay there. You got to stay yeah. there. Uh, and then we got this moving to Florida. Audit an $81 million contract. This district uh, basically had laptops. And after a review, identified widespread mismanagement and ethical concerns. This is Broward School I've District. I've heard this about is this place before. Yeah, it's a giant Southern Florida school district, right? Uh, so $81 million contract for laptops. The new review will look at whether the district followed procedures and got the best value when they when they bought the Lenovo laptops that the kids are now calling the Lenovo's. But they're <laughs> but they're it's another it's an eighty one million dollar contract and there's some sort of problem I guess there was an eight hundred million dollar bond so so the, there's a referendum voters approved this okay you can go out and borrow eight hundred million dollars you think they're you know well they got a cool eight hundred million gee ten percent only eighty million who's gonna care if that's kind of blown out the window right <laughs> big deal uh, who's watching really I don't know whatever. So that's uh, that's there in Florida, and then let's uh, and let's stick in Florida with one more story, which is in his mind he's helping kids. Florida teacher fired after, drum roll please, eighteen thousand oh. grades were changed. What one teacher? One teacher? Isn't that amazing? In his <laughs> mind, he's helping kids. Former principal uh. Mary Stratos said instead she said he was hurting them. The school board fired. This teacher Wednesday, after an investigation concluded, he had changed more than 18,000 grades within the district's online learning programs over the span of two years. Uh, she alerted investigators, this is the former principal, alerted investigators and transferred the teacher. Oh, that's what they do. They transfer the teacher from supervising classes with access to online programs as soon as the allegations landed on her desk in 2018, uh, etc. Yeah, you know, this is kind of like some of the stuff we saw about how you know, giving all kids A's or whatever. Like there's this yeah, idea that just give every kids, you know, give it hurts kids to give a bad grade. So let's just never give them bad grades, right? Let's just make all the grades good. That way all kids oh. will like be successful or something. And this was um, over two years. So this is, this was irrespective of 
the pandemic stuff, right? They're not just doing. No, that's fair well, enough. Yeah. And and yes, we should point out that's only an average of 9,000 per year. So geez, after <laughs> yeah. all, it's not like it's 18,000 in one year. I, I was thinking they were doing like a one-time exemption for like, um, you know, the pandemic stuff, but it looks like it, it has gone over, you know, way before the pandemic even started. Yeah, it says the allegations landed on her desk in 2018. So yeah. this is, yeah, this was, I think, nothing at all to do with the pandemic. Nope. Um, nope. And then speaking of that, actually, a related story. New York City whistleblowing teacher saying that high school staffers helped kids cheat and neglected disabled students. Staffers at this Brooklyn high school helped kids cheat on exams and neglected disabled students, according to a federal lawsuit filed by a whistleblowing teacher. Oh, see, why do we need school choice, Corey, when we've got schools like this to go to? It was a science teacher at something called High School for Youth and Community Development in Flatbush, which is a part of Brooklyn, a neighborhood in Brooklyn. And um, so plaintiff exposed cheating and or fraudulent conduct during the regent's exam when he stopped paraprofessionals from providing excessive assistance to students with disabilities for sitting uh, for sitting for that exam. Um, let's see, uh, I guess the whistleblower routinely complained to the principal about general mistreatment of dis disabled kids. Uh, one student who needed crutches to walk struggled to safely move between his classes in 2018 because the paraprofessional assigned to help the child fail to show up. So this is a, a lawsuit basically talking about, oh, I, all kinds of high school staffers who are doing all kinds of miss, uh, you know, hey, everything but, from but helping but kids Bob, cheat. To, Bob, Bob, come on. You know, <laughs> you know that private school choice is bad for students with special needs because they lose all of their IDEA uh, stuff that makes the public schools perfect for, for students with special needs. Yeah. Uh, for, for, so IDEA being the federal program that gives money to school districts if uh, if a special needs student is determined to not be able to be educated in the uh, least restrictive environment in a traditional and there, public school. And there are regulations, right? Regulations always work. They always lead to better outcomes. <laughs> so anyway, well. We're already in an hour and we still had more more stories, but uh, that's okay. Uh, yeah, let me just hit the, the last one really quick. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so Washington, but I like to bring up when there's things that were not true that were brought up in the in the mainstream. Oh, media. yeah, you're great yeah, on this stuff. Yeah. Washington Post just quoted Randy Weingarten, and Randy Weingarten, has done, she's the president of the American Federation for Teachers, the second largest teachers unions in the United States, right? It's the, right behind the NEA. And she said this so many times before, and I've called her out on it before, but she continues repeating the lie, saying that 90% of children go to public schools. Problem is, she defines charter schools as private schools. Here's some of her tweets where she uh, calls charter schools, uh, charter schools are private businesses, growth of private charter schools, you know, this pushes private charter. So she consistently refers to charter schools as private schools. She does not refer to them as public schools, even though they are technically defined as public schools across the United States. Um, but only 82% of students are in public schools, quote unquote, public schools. If you Traditional public schools or district schools. Yes. Yeah. If you, if you do, yeah. In, in not in a non-charter, if you define charters as private, then 82% are in public. And so she doesn't, she never gets this right. And it's because she wants to say, she wants to say two things at once. She wants to say that charters are private to try to demonize them, even as if, you know, being, being private is a bad thing compared to being government run. Uh, but then she also wants to say that, oh, look, there's so many people and there's so many children in public schools. That's why we need to protect the public schools. And to which myself and others responded that th this isn't even a good argument anyway, because, you know, regardless of the fact that you're getting the numbers wrong, just because 90% of kids are in government run schools now or pub in, in public schools now, if that were the, if that were the case, doesn't mean that 90% of families would choose that when given the option. It's like saying, it's like saying, you know, 100% of people ate at home during the lockdown. <laughs> okay, it doesn't mean that that was chosen. Yeah. Uh, right? So, so like you look at the AFC poll, right? That that found that you know thirty percent of families said that they would choose district schools if they had the option. So that implies that only a third of of the of the students that that 
that are claimed by Randy would actually be in those schools if they had a real uh, school choice program. Right. And I'm, let me say something else about that, but I'm going to say it really quiet so that only no one can really hear me, Corey. So I'm going to say it like in the microphone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is the quiet part, which is that uh, when they're like, she disparages charter schools, except when she's trying to unionize them because some of them are unionized like about 10%, but no one's can hear, no one can hear me right now. It's just, just quiet. But yeah. So that when they are unionized, they're okay. In fact, she once started one and bragged about that really? with me standing there. Yes. This was in Newark, New Jersey at an event. And she was saying, well, so we, we, we don't, we don't oppose charter schools. We actually started one. So when they're involved in a charter school, then charters are okay. But when they're not involved, she disparages them. So that's kind of the thing. So now we can go back to our regular. Oh, okay, program. okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, everybody. That's it. That's it with the uh, with the with the histrionics for what is it? The twenty fourth of June. You know, the summer solstice came and went. I usually put it on my phone because I kind of like to. For some reason, I have this thing where I like to know when the summer solstice and the you know, in the winter solstice is happening. Already I guess happened, I'm right? some kind of astronomy geek. Yeah. But this year I skipped, I missed it. I missed it. I feel it. Bad. It's actually a time, you know, there's like, a, it's not just a day. There's a time when it's the exact moment of the solstice. So I encourage everyone, you know, the, the whole egg balancing thing, that's for the equinoxes. So don't worry about that. Anyway, um, <laughs> rather than continue more boring talking, we're going to wrap it up for today. So thank you for watching Random Assignment. Please share our uh, you know, link to your friends. Thank you, Corey. Yeah, until next week, this was the Random Assignment Podcast. It's uh, good to talk to you, Bob, and thank you, everyone, for watching. <laughs>